and welcome Dr. Stephen Lawson. Yes, David, great to be with you, I'm sure. Oh, thank you. Dr. Lawson, tell us everything we need to know about you in 60 seconds. Wow, I don't think I need that long. Um, I'm a preacher. Um, I have pastored for 40 years. I'm a professor at the Master's Seminary for Expository Preaching. I oversee the Doctor of Ministry program. I'm a teaching fellow with Ligonier. Uh, I'm the president of a ministry, One Passion Ministries. Um, and I do a lot of things with One Passion. I've got an online academy for expository preaching. I host conferences, the Institute for Expository Preaching. Um, I write books. I've written about 35 books. Um, I'm married, have four kids. So that's just kind of me in a nutshell. That's the forest in an acorn. <laughs> so take us back to the beginning. How did you become a Christian? Yeah, I came to faith in Christ after my junior year in high school, so I would have been 17 years old. Uh, I went to a, a, a youth camp in, in Colorado, and I heard a message from John chapter 2, Jesus turning water into wine, and he used that as the basis for John 3, you must be born again, that God can take our dirty, foul, stagnant, lives like he, Jesus took that water and he can transform it into the best that there can possibly be. And that sounded like good news to me. And uh, we were told to go outside and think about uh, what you just heard, which I did and looked up into the sky and thought, God, I, I need to be um, transformed. And only you can do that. And only you can really regenerate me at that time i didn't know the doctrine of regeneration I, I just knew i needed that to happen in my life and i was a good kid i wasn't a wild kid at all but nevertheless i knew i needed what only god could do in my life and so with pretty fairly limited knowledge of scripture i i knew enough to be saved um, I knew I was a sinner and Christ was a, is a savior. And so I entrusted my life to him. So I'm 72 years old. So that was when I was 17. So I, I don't think I can do the math, David, on how long ago that was, but it's, it's been a while. Yeah. And when did you first feel a call into ministry? Tell us what happened. Yeah. Um, when I was in college, I began to preach. Through various circumstances, I was thrown into opportunities to preach, and um, I really liked it. I didn't think I would, but it really captured my heart, and I saw people come to know Christ. I saw people saved, and it was I felt like my life was being used in an eternal way. Uh, though I was wrestling with other things like going to law school, being a lawyer, um, working in politics, uh, working at a bank. Um, and so there was a, a, a struggle there for a couple of years. But I had never really heard a strong Bible preacher. So it was hard for me to really um, define what it was that was in my heart to do. Um, and after I heard uh, a strong Bible preacher uh, go through passages of Scripture, 
it, it just awakened me that that's it. That's what is in my heart to do. And so I literally was catapulted um, out of that setting um, to seminary because I didn't know the Bible. Uh, I needed to be taught the Bible. And so it was really just that strong compulsion that I had to preach and and that I couldn't sit still, even with a good job. I, I couldn't just let the world go by, my life go by without me uh, taking a Bible and telling people what it means and what they must do in response to it. Yeah, yeah. Brilliant stuff. Our conversation today could have been on a huge number of the different things that you're involved in. You've touched on some of those already, but specifically, we want to talk about the Academy of Expository Preaching. I've got to say, it's clear to see how much hard work's gone into creating the Academy. It just really looks stunning. Take us back to the beginning. How did this all come about, Dr. Lawson? Well, I, um, I'm a professor at the Master's Seminary in Los Angeles, where John MacArthur is uh, the chancellor. And I realized not everyone is going to be able, get on, be able to get on an airplane and fly to Los Angeles. People who are in Africa, people who are in India, people on the other side of the globe, uh, much less people in the United States. And, and so um, I, had, I have really strong notes uh, that I teach my students. I teach first, second and third year expository preaching in seminary. And in the Doctor of Ministry program, I teach a lot of classes. And so I've got this goldmine of, of notes. And how can I take it to people who will never be able to come to me? Well, I can go to them. And really during the COVID, where I couldn't get on an airplane and fly overseas, I had to come up with an alternate strategy. So I realized I can just put this online. Uh, I can be videoed giving these very same lectures that I give in seminary and make this available. Plus, I can still give reading assignments and written assignments, and we can still critique your sermons. You can have yourself videoed and send that to us, and we'll break it down and give you very helpful um, analysis of your preaching, affirm the good, and make suggestions on how to improve. So... I put it together and we started at the end of last year. And um, now just months later, we already have uh, some 400 students who are in our academy. And as I speak right now, we're translating it into five different languages. So we're translating it into Mandarin Chinese, uh, Russian, uh, Spanish, French, and Portuguese. And we're going to move it out to other languages. And what we want to do is cover the globe with Bible preachers, uh, men who are called by God, who just need a little bit more sharpening and a little bit more polish and a little bit pruning uh, to make them uh, an even more effective um, preacher of the word of God. Only God can make a preacher. I can't make a preacher, but I can certainly... Um, give you some instruction, I think, to, to elevate you to the next level of effectiveness. And so we're really about just taking good preachers and making you a better preacher and taking better preachers and making you the best preacher that, that you can be. 
Brilliant. And do you have any plans to translate into South London, Dr. Lawson? <laughs> into Cockney. So, so even you could understand. Uh, I know the English language is a challenge for you right now. So, yes, sir, we, we, we will be after that. <laughs> That's funny. Very good. Very good. So, Dr. Lawson, what is expository preaching and why is expository preaching so important? Well, it's important uh, because expository preaching is just simply Bible preaching is really what it is. And if you're not preaching the Bible, I have no idea what in the world you're doing up there. Um, but it's important because, first of all, we're commanded to preach the word. So it's important because it's obedience to Christ and o- obedience to the mandates of Scripture itself. Uh, but more than that, uh, preaching the word of God really elevates the worship in a church because you will have a higher view of God as you sit under expository preaching. Uh, the main purpose of the word of God is to glorify the God of the word. And so there is a real transcendent element uh, that, that comes to worship when you are expositing the scripture. Uh, second. It, it really becomes, I think, the chief means of sanctification in the life of a believer to sit under the preaching of the word of God where you are interpreting scripture, but also applying scripture, showing the relevance of it and then exhorting the listener to pursue it. Um, and so it really becomes the means by which a church grows spiritually in the grace and knowledge of Christ. Uh, further, you are modeling for your church how to study the Bible. However you handle the scripture in the pulpit is how they will handle it at the breakfast table uh, or in their den. And only expository preaching really shows how to give careful attention to things like word studies and context and historical background and cross-references, etc., Further, you are equipping the church to do the work of ministry. Um, As you are expositing scripture, you are training them in how to witness and how to counsel others, how to raise their families, um, how to be productive in their Christian life in serving the Lord. And and further, uh, you're actually preaching the gospel as you're preaching expositorily. And there are souls that will be soundly converted and they will have assurance of their salvation as they sit under strong preaching of the word of God. And then I would further add that young men will be raised up to preach as they see you modeling um, expository preaching that that connects with them and they can see what you're doing and they can see how they could replicate that even in an embryonic way. Uh, nevertheless, young men are, are called into ministry um, under expository preaching. And that was certainly the case with me. So for those reasons, and, and I'm sure more, um, that's why expository preaching is so critically important. It's because it puts the Bible in the very center of the life of the church. And when that happens, good things will happen in, in a church. Within the course, you cover every aspect of preparing and delivering a sermon. So let's start at the beginning. What does sermon prep look like for you? And what are some of the helpful tips and some ditches to watch out for? 
Yeah. Well, I, I've been preaching for over 50 years and, and there's an evolution that takes place um, in preparing a sermon, you know, from one season of my life to the next season to the next season. So I, I'm further on down the track and I can tell you how I do it now, but it's not necessarily how I did it when I was a younger man, uh, just starting. But, you know, right now I start with a blank piece of paper and a fountain pen. Uh, I don't use a computer. I'm very hands on. And I take the passage that I'm going to be preaching and I go down the left hand margin of a piece of paper and I literally write out every word in that passage line by line by line. Sometimes there'll be two or three words on a line if it's like a prepositional phrase, something like that. And I look them up in the original language as, as I'm going through this passage and I'm looking up the meanings of words in the original language. And then I'm trying to explain or interpret what is being said uh, in this passage. And that requires that, you know, the laws of hermeneutics and what is the authorial intent of this passage of scripture. And I'm writing out, uh, in the middle of the page next to these words that I've looked up, that I've written down, looked at the meaning, really just uh, uh, an explanation of what this means. What was the intent of this? And as I'm going, I'm also making application and I'm writing that out in the in the right hand margin, uh, how I would show the relevance of what is being said. Um, from this passage. And as I'm progressing, occasionally I'll draw a horizontal line to show the division. I I think structure and divisions and sermon headings are vitally important for almost every preacher, unless you're just extraordinarily gifted. And and so I'm putting together uh, a first pass at an outline And I'm writing that out in the left-hand margin as well as I go. And um, as I go through this, once I'm finished, I'll then open study Bibles and commentaries. Um, What did I miss? Um, What did I misinterpret? Um, What do I need to add? Uh, So I want to do my homework first, my spade work. I want to walk the land. Uh, of this passage, and then bring in outside help so that I can see um, how I can strengthen what what I have pulled out of this passage. And then I will, I will scribble out, and this is in essence almost like a rough draft. I will scribble out an, uh, an introduction, and there are certain things that make for a strong introduction. And then I'll write out the conclusion. And so I'll just staple it all together and then proceed to write what I would call a manuscript, uh, which is, for me, what I would take into the pulpit. It's probably about 70% of what I'll say in the pulpit, um, maybe 80%. I'll be adding 20 to 30% in the heat of the moment and drawing upon you know, over 50 years of studying the Bible and um, there are there will be flashes of insight that will come while you're in the pulpit. 
So you never want a manuscript that's 100% of everything you're going to say. You've got to have uh, some elbow room, if you will, while you're preaching. Um, And so, but I'll write out my manuscript. I always start with Roman numeral one and move consecutively through the passage. Then I will write the introduction. Then I will write the conclusion. Um, And as you write your manuscript, you want to write it not like a term paper or a theological journal article. You want to write it like uh, you can hear yourself preaching it. You want a conversational tone to it. This doesn't need to be dense and highly technical. Um, this, this needs to have some energy and some vibrancy to it. Uh, C.S. Lewis said, great writers do not write with their eyes. They write with their ears. Uh, they can hear themselves delivering this message. And so as I'm writing the, the manuscript, it's, it, it's to be set up almost like a trampoline effect that it will propel me forward to say, with a preacher's tone and, and a preacher's fire, uh, what needs to be said as I come to this part of the, of the passage of Scripture. So that's just as brief of a flyover, uh, David, that I can give you. I mean, I teach an entire class in seminary, um, what I just walked you through. So, you know, that would be like 40 class hours. Uh, I just gave you in about 40 seconds. So there's so much more, obviously, that can be said, but that's kind of the succinct version of it. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Very good. You you mentioned about going to get some outside help. What what are your favorite go-to resources? Yeah, well, it depends on which book in the Bible. Um, on my resources, I start out simple and work up to technical. And that's the way education works. You start out in kindergarten, you end up in college. And I I use my commentaries that way. So I start with study Bibles and I use the footnotes that are in the study Bibles. Uh, I love the MacArthur study Bible. I love the Reformation study Bible. I love the ESV study Bible. I love the uh, Christian standard study Bible. Uh, Those are pretty much my go-to study Bibles. Anything that's in a footnote because of limited space is probably pretty important. And I I need to make certain that I have addressed this, that I've interacted with this, that I know what the options are on the interpretation of this. Um, And then I move into elementary type uh, commentaries, end up with technical So elementary would be anything from uh, the MacArthur commentary series to um, Bible knowledge commentary to uh, John Stott to other sermons like James Montgomery Boyce. Um, The more technical would be exegetical, heavily exegetical works, uh, NICOT, uh, New International Commentary on the New Testament, the Old Testament, um, you know, expositors commentary would be uh, kind of halfway in between. 
Baker and Zondervan have come out with excellent series. There's the pillar exegetical series. Um, and, and so th- that's where I end up. Uh, I don't want to sound technical when I preach, but I need to use these technical tools to make certain that I, that I have got this correctly uh, understood in my own mind before I can, in essence, paraphrase it to a layperson in much simpler terms. Right. So yeah. I'm also using language tools to do word studies. And I have at my fingertips um, systematic theologies. Um, I've got biblical theologies. Uh, I have an English dictionary. I, I have an English uh, thesaurus so that I don't repeat myself and, and have alternate synonyms at my beckoning call so that that ends up being kind of in my toolbox like a carpenter has a toolbox and he has lots of different tools in it that's kind of what's in my my toolbox you mentioned the importance of the introduction and the conclusion Uh, what are some of your Mm -hmm. best tips for getting those right well if there's one thing that i write and rewrite more than anything else it's the introduction uh if i start strong. I tend to preach strong. If I start weak, I tend to preach weak. Um, So I I want it to be uh, really even, I write that out in complete sentences and I know how I'm going to start this. Even if I'm not looking down at it, I want to have airtight uh, introduction. What you're doing is you're selling the listener on the importance of what you're about to preach on with a good introduction. You ought to be able to give the introduction and go sit on the front pew and just sit down. And the whole church would want you to get back up in the pulpit and deliver the main body of the sermon. So there's a a strategic importance to an introduction. Um, And you are showing the relevance, why this is so important, why they need to understand this passage and put it into practice in their life. And it's not because it's just the next verses in the gospel of Luke. Why do I, why did I need to hear this sermon today? And a good salesman brings out the benefit to the buyer. So you're bringing out the benefits of this passage to the listener and showing them and convincing them before you even get into this why this is strategically and critically important for their spiritual life and development. So that's basically what you're doing. You're also many times setting the context. Paul's in prisons, the year 60 to 62 AD. It's his first Roman imprisonment. He's under house arrest. Um, and, and setting the context historically. And um, you're also maybe... And Spurgeon did this, even giving uh, the main headings of where we're headed. Today in this sermon, we will note three things, four things. And many times I lay that out uh, so that people have a sense of, I know where we're headed with this passage. Uh, But that's basically what you're doing. You're creating interest 
in this passage and what you will have to say. And it may be a quote. It could be an illustration. Um, it could be the historical setting. Um, it could be something that's taking place in the world right now. Um, it could be you create a crisis and the sermon is the solution to the crisis. Um, and you need to vary your introductions. You, you can't sound like a broken record and, and, and everything, every introduction kind of follows the same format. That there needs to be some diversity to make you an interesting preacher. Yeah, yeah. So that's the, that's yeah. the best I've got, David. Yeah, well, very good. I'm thankful for it, Dr. Lawson. You've been preaching for a long time, as you've been saying. Do you ever get nervous? And if so, how do you control that? You know, I don't, I'm not nervous. Um, I would be nervous if you did not let me get up and preach. Um, so I don't think about it. Uh, I used to, but I, I don't. And for my pastorate, I preached usually like five times a week, uh, five different preparations. And so uh, you reach a point that you just don't even think about it. And so I understand how a young man who's only preached three sermons in his life would be apprehensive and sweaty palms and his voice is kind of quivering. I can understand that. And, and I had, I went through maybe a, a phase like that a million years ago, but I don't even think about it anymore. And part of the value of a manuscript is, you know, what you're going to say. Uh, so you're not just being airdropped into the pulpit and you have no idea what I'm going to say, I, I know where this is headed and I've already given thought to how I'm going to say it. So that unplugs a lot of nervousness um, and deep convictions in the truth of this passage, I think overrides uh, nervousness that there's a compulsion within you to get this across to the listener and how they desperately need to hear this. So I, I think it dis, displaces nervousness when you have deep convictions in the truthfulness of this and how these precious people must hear this, the veracity of this text. Yeah. Yeah. How important is it for a preacher to find their own voice and not to try and copy you or John MacArthur or Martin Lloyd-Jones, for an example? Yeah, well, you wouldn't want to copy me. Um, <laughs> it's, it's very important to find your own voice. I will say, as a young man, when you start preaching, you probably are a little bit of an echo chamber of who has influenced you. And that might not be bad at the very beginning. And it might be okay for you to try to take a MacArthur sermon or a Lloyd-Jones sermon and pull out of that uh, a lot of helpful things and incorporate that in, into your sermon. So I, I can understand uh, initially some um, emulating of other preachers. I would caution that if you emulate only one preacher you're it's going to be hard for you to eventually find your own voice. 
Um, it, I think it's a little bit of a process, but you need to be you and there's only one of you and you will be most effective if you are using your own IQ, your own temperament, your own personality, your own vocabulary, your own manners of expression, your own illustrations, um, you will be most effective as as you own what is being said. So uh, you asked how important is it? It's critically important. It may be something that you grow into. Um, and as soon as possible, you need to grow into it. But I know when I first started preaching, I, I was dependent. I hadn't been, I hadn't even been to seminary. I mean, I was dependent on other men to help me walk through this passage, uh, take me by the hand and walk me through this passage. And their manners of expression kind of became my manners of expression. Um, it, the good thing is I had a lot of preachers I was looking to, and some of them were dead men. Uh, some of them I'm reading Spurgeon and Jonathan Edwards and Luther and Ryle and people like that. So you need a mix um, as you're developing your own voice. But there does come a point where you can, you cannot wear Saul's armor. Uh, you, you, you've got to put on your own armor. You got to dress yourself with this passage. And that's really what happened to me in seminary. For the first time, I felt like I could take, I'm now trained to take a passage and to walk through it, interpret it, and make this my own sermon. But it also takes a lot of practice as well. Yeah. You've got yeah. to preach a lot to find your own voice. Yeah. Preaching is often a task that receives feedback, both positive and negative. What advice do you have to help avoid becoming prideful when the feedback's good or depressed when the feedback is bad? Yeah, that's, that's very simple. <laughs> like how to, how to not become prideful. Just go be a pastor. Uh, just be married. Uh, just have children. Uh, just have some elders. Uh, just have a few charter members. Uh, in the church, uh, just have some tares among the wheat. Um, I challenge you to be prideful because God has built in mechanisms um, to humble the preacher. Um, so I, we all, I'm sure, wrestle with humility. But God, in my ministry, I've had so many factors built in that I still obviously wrestle with it and we will till the day we die. But God has crushed me. God has broken me. Uh, I walk with a, a limp into the pulpit. Um, I mean, I've been crippled. Um, so there, there are, there are built in factors that God has for the preacher. I understand that there's some egomaniacs out there and there's some peacocks, but they're generally not in Bible preaching, gospel preaching churches. Uh, they're generally in health, wealth, prosperity kind of churches where everything is stroking the ego and flattering the flesh, including their own. Uh, but if you're a Bible preacher, 
And if you preach the hard sayings and the hard doctrines of the Bible, you're going to have pushback. You're going to have people disagree with you. You're going to have people leave the church. You're going to have people withhold their giving. Uh, you're going to have people not want to make eye contact with you. Um, there's there's going to be enough built-in factors that that your sanctification is going to be accelerated um, as you're being humbled as as a preacher. Um, have I, people ask me? Have I? Do I ask for feedback on my sermons? And my standard answer is I've never had to ask. Um, people are only too eager to give me feedback on my right. sermons. I, I have a congregation of experts on on preaching. And um, I used to have some older ladies who would wait for me in the lobby with the worship guide, and they would write down every mispronounced word, every improper use of English, every grammatical mistake. And they would just wait for me to come out of the worship center and they would hand me my report card. And uh, that was humbling. It was God's way of improving my use of English. Um, but it was also God's way of uh, conforming me into the image of Christ as well. Um, so I, I never had any sense that I was better than what I was because I had people reminding me that I'm not as good <laughs> as, yeah. as someone else might think I am. So I, you know, I don't, I don't know what you're looking for on these answers, David, but what I just said is a tremendous answer. <laughs> <laughs> One of the exciting things about the foundation course, like you said, is the ability to be able to upload your own sermons to be able to then receive that feedback. I'm interested. Do you actually watch back your own sermons? Never, never. I would never preach again if I had to listen to one of my sermons. Um, it's too discouraging. Uh, your voice sounds different than what you think it sounds like. Um, the pace with which you speak sounds different than how you think you come across. Um, it would be so discouraging, actually, really, for me, that I, I've never listened to one of my sermons. Uh, sometimes someone will, you know, come up with a cell phone and play 30 seconds and make me listen to something I've said, but it's too excruciatingly painful. It's like a trip to the dentist office and sitting in the dentist chair um, to have to listen to your own sermons. And there may be people that would benefit from it. So I, I don't want to discourage you from that. But but for me, it would hit the point of diminishing return after about two seconds. Yeah. <laughs> Once students complete the course that we've been speaking about, what do they receive, Dr. Lawson? When they go through the Academy for Expository Preaching? Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, you know, tangibly, you'll receive a certificate from me uh, that I'll sign and gives you some validation that you have gone through training uh, for expository preaching that exceeds probably what you would get in seminary, uh, depending upon where you would go to seminary. I would say it would exceed 95 percent of the preaching classes in a seminary. Um, so you would receive that. 
uh, I think you would receive a measure of self-confidence in the right way uh, that you are better prepared to do what God has called you to do. Um, so those are the main two things that I, that I think that you would receive. And I, I think you would have a better framework for even what preaching is and what a sermon is um, as simple as that. I've only recently been teaching my students what is a sermon. I mean, how simple is that? Uh, I would say most preachers ha have never even thought about, so what is a sermon? And what differentiates a sermon from a blog or a book mm -hmm. review or a term paper or a dialogue or a monologue? Or, or whatever else. I mean, what is the unique feature? What are the component parts of a sermon? And there's an old saying, if you aim at nothing, you'll hit it every time. If you don't even know what a sermon is, you're, you're, it'll be easy for you to create a sermon if you don't know what one is. Uh, you have to know what the target is and what are the component parts of a sermon. Uh, a, a car mechanic has to know all the parts of an engine and be able to break it down and put it back together again. That's what you've got to be able to do with a sermon. You've got to know what are the component parts of, of a sermon, break it down and then be able to put it back together for you to walk into the pulpit. So um, what would you receive from going through this uh, academy? I think you would, better understand what it is you're trying to do. And then second, you would be able to do it better. Yeah. Yeah. Brilliant. Well, we're going to make sure there's a, a link to the Academy in the description below, wherever you're watching or listening to this interview. Dr. Lawson, before you go, I've got to ask you, you've been blessed to be able to uh, call both RC Sproul and John MacArthur friends of yours. Yeah. How important is Christian friendship? Well, it's usually important. Uh, we are influenced by the people around us more than what we would recognize. I just preach at John MacArthur's church to the college ministry. Uh, they wanted me to preach on having bad friends. And, um, and because in college and single adults, I mean, they do have some bad influences in their life. And so I preached out of 1 Corinthians 15, bad company corrupts good morals. Well, the flip is also true. The flip side, yeah. good company produces strong convictions and good morals. And so we are the product of the influences that are around us more so than we would want to imagine. For example, when you came on, I immediately said, tell me about your accent. And you said, South London Cockney. All right. I grew up in the South of the United States, I have a different accent. We all preach with a, we all speak with a different accent. Why is that? Because of the influences around you. You didn't try to speak with a Cockney accent. It just subconsciously happened. You heard people around you make pronunciation of words that way, and you just have emulated it without even trying. The same is true in preaching. 
And so you need to have the right influences around you who will be shaping not only your preaching, but your character and your walk with the Lord. And more than you realize, it will be a lasting influence for better or for worse. And so you need to surround yourself with uh, godly influences who will elevate your walk with the Lord um, so that at the same time, you can also go to people without Christ and reach them and be stronger as you're trying to go to the mission field. Yeah. Yeah. Dr. Lawson, it's been a joy to spend some time with you. Thank you so much for your time. Before we let you go, please take a moment to let us know your closing thoughts and also let people know how they can follow you on social media. Yeah. I would just say in closing uh, to those of you who are preachers, let me encourage you by just telling you this, you are the most important person in your community. The world doesn't know it. They think it's the politician, the banker, the, uh, the media person, the rock star. No, it's the person who holds the Bible and opens it and preaches it. You are the single most important person in your town and in your community. And you need to be aware of how critically important you are to the expansion of the kingdom of God. Uh, you are important because you hold the Bible and you preach the Bible. So I would say that by way of encouragement to you. Uh, as far as my social media platforms, David, I'm such a dinosaur. I don't even know how to communicate, how to follow me. I'm on Twitter. I, I'm on Facebook. I'm on Instagram. And I do most of my own postings. Um I'm on other platforms as well. I thought YouTube was stood for the University of Tube. Uh, I didn't even know it was it was like YouTube. So um, I'm, I I think I'm on there various ways. You you can explain it uh, for me better. <laughs> well, I absolutely I a, will. I just have a fountain pen. That's all I need. Well, I'm going to find all of those important social media links. And I'll make sure they're in the description below as well. Dr. Lawson, thanks again for your time. Really enjoyed it. Thank you, David. I've enjoyed being with you as well. Blessings to you.